On one of my first uh, short-term missions trips, I was in uh, Congo. And I, uh, as I was ready to leave, I was talking to a young man. And I said, as I go back to America, what can I suggest to Americans that you need? And he put his finger in my chest and he said, we need you. I've never forgotten that. Uh, it continues to haunt me. And many of you know that Joan and I have said uh, one day we are going to the mission field. Don't know which day, but one day we're going to go to the, uh, the mission field. But I, I think many of you who have been on short-term trips can say the same thing. If you go on a short-term trip, it changes you forever because you see the difference between what we have here and what they have there. Yesterday in the mail, uh, I, we got a, a brochure from Greater Europe Mission. And uh, some of you can uh, totally identify with this statement by Vic Cockney. He said, step out in faith and go at least on one short short-term mission trip during your lifetime. That's the challenge our senior pastor extended to the congregation one Sunday morning. Pastor Miller, different Pastor Miller, I, I think, uh, couldn't have been talking to me, though, because I'm neither qualified nor interested. After all, I'm a businessman. Sure, I can identify a hammer in a lineup, but that's about as far as my knowledge of construction went. However, I filled the, filed the idea in that maybe Sunday corner of my mind. Much to my surprise, Sunday actually arrived. During a weekly Bible study, our facilitator announced that he and his wife were going to Vancouver Island, Canada for a short-term missions trip, and they wanted our small group to step out in faith and join them. So with my hammer packed, off to Canada we went. My idea of a successful short-term mission trip was to come home alive. I did come home alive, more alive than I'd ever been before. My life changed forever. The next five years brought opportunities to step out of faith again and again. I made another trip to Canada, then one to Turkey, then to Nicaragua, then to Angola, then to France, and then to Spain. It was almost as if one morning I woke up and realized that no longer I had control of my life, but God did. Now, we've heard from the testimonies this morning that that's what's happened as folks here have gone on short-term mission trips. So I, I thought today that I would... Uh, have my thoughts under the general category, why are we as a church committed to short-term missions trips? And I can even make that more personal. You know, why am I, why is the Kenworthy family thoroughly committed uh, to short-term missions trips? Well, first, I want to give you a verse uh, that has motivated my youngest daughter, Michelle. If you don't know uh, Michelle and Paul, uh, they are uh, missionaries with World Evangelism for Christ and uh, will be in Istanbul, Turkey soon. But uh, her favorite verse in the Bible is this. I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. So why are we committed to short-term mission? Because we're committed to the task. My wife has made a point uh, as our kids were growing up to read uh, missionary stories, uh, as we would have our uh, devotions on a, a daily basis We'd read scripture, and then in addition to that, uh, typically we'd uh, read a, a missions uh, story. Uh, Sarah Hall was one who uh, read mission stories. And at the age of 17, uh, she had uh, read about the a story in the life of Samuel Mills. And as she was preparing to become a career missionary, she made this statement about what she knew of that great missionary. She said, never shall I forget the emotions of my heart. While following thus in the footsteps, footsteps of this devoted missionary, I caught his spirit. Oh, that I too could suffer privations, hardships, and discouragements 
and even find a watery grave, as did he, for the sake of bearing the news of salvation to the poor heathen. Now, that kind of a statement motivates me. It's one thing to say, you know, I'm excited about missions. It's another thing to say, I am ready to die for Jesus so that those who don't know Christ can come to know him. That's passion. And it leads me to ask the question, what is your mission statement? I think in life it's important for us to be able to say, why am I here? What is it that I'm supposed to do? What is my personal mission statement? Uh, A number of years ago, as I was reflecting on that um, and praying about it, I I came to the conclusion that what I would hope God would do with me is enable me to reach as many people as possible for him in as short a period of time as is possible as well. And uh, that statement continues to motivate me as I ask myself, is there something more I can do? Is there a greater impact than I can I can have? So. What's our personal mission statement? And probably in the light of that, we should start by saying, um, what is it that God wants us to do? Turn with me to uh, one of the great missions texts in the Bible. It's Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Uh, this is uh, familiar many, to many of you. The uh, Great Commission is expressed in a variety of places. This is just uh, where we see it in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Uh, that's page 1077 in your pew Bible. But you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the challenge was for the church that was located in Jerusalem at that time uh, to go out to Judea. That would have been the next region. Then Samaria. That would have been the next region. And then to the uttermost parts of the world. That obviously was the last region. But as we read the first seven chapters of the book of Acts. They had this commission that was given by Jesus as he's ascending up into heaven. And as we look at the text, we find out they didn't go anywhere. They stayed in Jerusalem. So flip over to chapter 8 and verse 1 for the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would put it. And we ask ourselves the question, well, why didn't they go? In chapter 8 and verse 1, we're finding out that Paul was there when Stephen was put to death. In the middle of verse 1, we read this. uh, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. You see what's happening here? Uh, The apostles were the ones that that were receiving the Great Commission. Now it's the church that is being scattered to do the very thing that God wanted them to do, according to uh, Acts 1 and verse 8. Then uh, we read some more about Paul. Verse 4. And those who had been scattered... Preach the word wherever they went. That's mission one. They're going to be talking about Jesus, telling the story. Philip went down to the city of, uh, in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. When crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. We look at this and say, so what is it that the church did as they were scattered? In this church, we've talked about evangelism in three categories. Uh, First, we can say there is presence evangelism. Presence evangelism is offering a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. Uh, It's touching someone at a point of need. And you heard several who went on short-term mission trips say that's exactly what they did. Sometimes we ignore the importance of presence evangelism. We think that the main thing we're supposed to do is maybe go someplace with a gospel track and 
uh, share some uh, a series of laws and then look for a decision. As important as that is, as you look at the New Testament, at the life of Jesus, mostly what Jesus does is that he touches people, he heals people, he helps people. And then periodically, he will then do some proclamation evangelism. That's the next P, uh, where uh, you tell people how God can help us at a point of need. And then the third uh, P is persuasion evangelism, where you uh, help people to know that they can enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's to say this, as you look at Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, uh, this church was filled with people who were going out and telling their story. And people are going out and they are meeting the needs of the individuals that are there. And so we've got to ask ourselves, as we're thinking about uh, any short-term mission opportunity for us, do you have a story to tell? And the story just needs to be, I love Jesus. I love Jesus with my heart and Jesus has changed me. That's our story. And then we can say, do you have some love that you can show by virtue of some skill that you have? And... Um, I don't know, I've, I've been on maybe 20 short-term missions uh, trips uh, over the years, and every trip I go on, uh, basically I discover that what I went there for is not why God wants me. I mean, invariably that's the case. My very first missions trip, I was a conference speaker for the Evangelical Free Church of America uh, in Venezuela. It seemed like a right thing for me because I'm a preacher after all, and uh, to be able to address a group of folks, you know, that's kind of a natural thing for me to do. And I thought that was my purpose. As I arrived in Venezuela, however, uh, I began interacting with the people there and found out uh, that the mission had lost the mission mechanic. He was home on furlough. So one evening in one of my messages, I just mentioned in passing, I didn't think this was a big deal. Uh, I, I said, you know, I'm from Flint, Michigan. You know, Michael Jordan knows about basketballs. I know about cars. And uh, if I can help any of you with your cars, I'll be over at the, uh, the mechanic's place tomorrow uh, at 8 o'clock. And any of you need some help, just, you know, just come on by. For the next three days, there were 20 cars in front of that garage. And by the time I came home, I realized that the real reason God sent me to Venezuela was to help folks with something as pragmatic as getting a car back on the road so they could more effectively do the ministry that God was calling them to do. Now, I know that many of you have been on short-term mission trips. You know exactly what I'm talking about, where God surprises us and we think, I didn't even know I could use this skill for Jesus. I didn't even know it was something that he was uh, wanting me to do. But as we allow ourselves to, to go, we're invariably surprised. So I'm committed to short-term missions because I'm passionate about the task, and I trust you are too. But there's another reason why we as a church are committed to short-term missions. Because we understand uh, what Jesus means when he says the fields are white under harvest, but the laborers are few, when we go on a short-term missions trip. Some of you have been here at this church for some time, and years ago, uh, my uh, daughter, Michelle, uh, used this illustration, and perhaps you remember it. If we say that, uh, uh, well, let me move this thing over here so you can see better, that uh, Coca-Cola is a product that in the last 200 years uh, is recognized around the world. I've got to turn this so you can see it. There you go. Uh, the, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ, however, is not recognized in many portions of the world. And we can ask the question, why? Well, maybe it's because Coke's got a better marketing strategy uh, than uh, we do, because one of the realities we can say about uh, the uh, Church of Jesus Christ today uh, is that in the world, only one-tenth of the world is Christian. And so that's a pocket New Testament. If you can't uh, see that, that represents the tenth of the world that is Christian. 
In addition to that, there's two-tenths of the world (coughs) that has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they have not responded. Hope that's whoops. Do it that way. That's that was supposed to stay on there and be awfully cute. Uh, Joan picked these earmuffs off because they were really cute and would work swell. So anyway, uh, the, that's the that's the the folks who have had the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some twenty percent, and they've not responded to the gospel. In addition to that, there's another thirty percent who are in regions of the world. Uh, where they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they haven't heard it yet. And you say, well, good for them. Um, You know, that would be places like uh, Poland. That would be places like Peru where you can hear the gospel. And we pray that these folks will have the opportunity uh, to hear the gospel. But there's another uh, 40% of the world that are in regions of the world today where to this day there is no opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ whatsoever. And for them, uh, their knowledge of Jesus Christ is darkened uh, by the fact that enough people haven't come or expressed desire or had concern to say, we want to reach out to those around the world, even in those unreached places that don't know Jesus Christ. Uh, missiologists have determined that 95% of all evangelism takes place uh, in the 10% world, uh, which uh, underscores the challenge before us. They've also acknowledged if every Christian, every one of these uh, 10%, uh, were to lead someone to Christ, just one person every year, in three years, the entire world would be Christian. If we led one person to Christ every year, and that underscores uh, the, uh, the challenge uh, that is before us. Uh, the problem is there just aren't that many folks uh, that are seeing the need to pray for laborers, apparently, and there aren't that many laborers uh, that are going. Um, t- today, a reality is one out of uh, ten people that make a decision to become a missionary, of those, only one makes it to the field. And of those that make it to the field, one in ten will return for a second term. So there's a challenge in missions today where there's an incredible need for people around the world uh, to come and share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but the laborers are few. But if we go on a short-term missions trip, we begin to understand there are benefits of becoming a laborer. Uh, Several things I think we've already heard today. Uh, If I go on a short-term missions trip, I am now more motivated to pray. You've heard several say that. And That's a reason to go on a short-term trip because I'm going to pray for laborers. Uh, If I go on a short-term mission trip, I'm going to be more motivated to give. I think that's true. Not just of my time and talents, but of everything. And if I go on a short-term mission trip, I'm going to be more motivated to evangelize at home. I oftentimes have people say to me, so why is it they're sending so many people overseas to do witnessing for Jesus Christ when many of those people haven't done any witnessing here? Well, I can say as a pastor, what I have noted to be true is that that often is right. A lot of people go on short-term missions trips, and they're not particularly involved in evangelism here. uh, But there is a payback. When you go overseas and you begin being a witness for Jesus Christ overseas, then you come back here, and for the first time in your life now, you're a witness for Jesus Christ. Um, I I like guys like Dawson uh, Troutman and the sense of conviction that he has about the uh, importance of the of the task. 
because Nelson Trotman had a uh, personal mission statement himself. His mission statement was touch a life a day for God. And he was committed to that Uh, as a meticulous navigator. uh, It was hard for him uh, to go to bed at night if he hadn't been able to say to himself uh, some way, somehow today I was able to touch a life today uh, for God. But one day it was at the end of the day and he was already in bed. And it suddenly occurred to him as he was reflecting on the day, I haven't touched one life for God today. Now, his first thought was, well, I'll, I'll do two tomorrow. Um, maybe it was a sense of guilt. Perhaps it was true uh, conviction. But he said to himself, no, that, that's not acceptable. So he got up out of bed, got into his Model T, drove down to the train station where he saw a man that had just missed his train standing there. And he went up to the man and he said this, you may not believe this. But I got out of bed to come down here. It's a rule of my life never to end the day without sharing with someone the most wonderful thing in life. I am a Christian. And he went on to share his love for Jesus and then Jesus' love for this man. And after sharing for a number of minutes, uh, the man looked back at him and he said, For the last 25 years, I've been going to church because I've been trying to find God. Tonight, you've helped me find Jesus. Now, that kind of story excites me. And... People who have gone on short-term missions trips uh, can totally identify with what Dawson Troutman is saying about the sense of conviction that we have to want to be used by God more faithfully every day of our life. There's one reason more why we are committed to short-term missions in this church. Because short-term missionaries are the most likely to become career missionaries. And there's an incredible need uh, for career missionaries worldwide. If I can make this a little bit more uh, personal, when my uh, son, George, uh, he, he was probably 16 or so, I guess, at that time, he went on a short-term missions trip to us down to uh, southern Mexico. Uh, up in the hills, we worked among the Chol Indians. That was George's first short-term missions trip. And George was the Pied Piper of youth. Uh, there would probably be about 50 Indians, uh, little kids, following George every day. Every, I mean, I'm off doing these adult kinds of things. And George is playing basketball with these kids. He's playing games with these kids and throwing water at the kids and just having a blast with these kids. And as we reflected on that, one of the things that was evident at that age in George's life is God was impressing upon him uh, the challenge of working with really poor people and showing them somehow the love of Jesus Christ. And uh, some of you may know that when George felt called of God to go to Mongolia, many have asked, why go to outer Mongolia to serve Jesus? And the response that George will give you to this day is that there are a lot of folks who want to go to more of the glamour countries. But the reason to go to outer Mongolia is that they are the poorest of the poor and the least likely to find anybody that wants to go to them. And I believe that God gave my son that heart uh, for reaching those kind of people on his first short term missions trip. And then there's my daughter, Kathy, who, when she was 13, went on a short term missions trip with us uh, to Germany. Uh, I was a speaker, annual speaker for the conference uh, for an organization that is now called uh, Cadence. And they were just starting a new ministry to youth. Hadn't done it before. They were doing this sort of summer experiment. We were there for the month. And I was at Air Force bases and Army bases, speaking in chapels, speaking in Bible studies. And uh, Kathy and George didn't want to go with dad and mom to all this adult stuff. So they hung out with the kids. And they did this youth ministry that they were calling Malachi Ministries. And as Kathy was involved in that for a month, that is a 13-year-old, at the end of that month, uh, she said to us before we came home, 
one day I want to come back here and I want to give my life to this ministry called Malachi. And uh, those of you who know my daughter and son-in-law, Mark and Kathy Wilson, uh, they're in Heidelberg, Germany today, uh, serving with a mission called Malachi. And then there's Michelle, uh, who when she was in uh, uh, Gambia, she spent a summer uh, in the uh, Gambia doing a short-term missions trip. It was at that point that God got a hold of her heart and impressed upon her the incredible need in the Islamic world. I mean, this is this uh, 40%, the unreached people. And as she was uh, thinking and praying about that, uh, God convicted her that of all the places where she needed to go, she needed to go to those folks who have had the least opportunity to know the love of Jesus Christ. And so as she was on a short-term missions trip, she opened up her heart to God and said, God, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to serve you uh, as a career reaching people who don't know. Now, I, I don't think in this church uh, we have to say to many of you, uh, are you excited about short-term missions with the hundreds of folks that go on short-term missions trips uh, every year? I think it's evident that as a congregation we are truly committed uh, to short-term missions. But I'd like to ask the question of some of you who have not been on a short-term missions trip, the question uh, that uh, Vic said uh, his pastor uh, put to him. Let me just uh, read that again. Step out in faith and go on at least one short-term missions trip during your lifetime. That's my challenge to you. And why not make it this year that you do it? You've heard all kinds of reasons why you should uh, pray that this may be the year. You can look at the schedule for this lake. A lot of opportunities for you to hear more about uh, short-term missions and the various folks that have been on trips um, and opportunities for you to get more information on what that would mean. And then next Saturday, uh, we are asking that you sign up so that we can know how many are going to be, be here for the soul food. So uh, following the service, if you could just go out and uh, sign up to be a part of that so we know how many are going to come. That should be a wonderful opportunity for us to hear more. And then next Sunday, we're back at it again. Uh, next Sunday is going to be Decision Sunday. Uh, we are going to be giving an invitation next Sunday and asking you uh, if you will make a commitment to at least say, I will consider uh, short-term missions as something that God would have me do so that we can be about the task of reaching this world for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your love. God, we thank you for the depth of your love. And God, we pray today that you'll enable us to see how we can more effectively take that love to the lost world that doesn't know it. Father, I thank you for what you've done over the last uh, 12 years or so in our church as there has been a growing passion for world evangelization. God, I pray that that may increase and that as it increases, you'll give us greater tenderness to the people around the world who haven't heard yet. And, Father, I pray that you'll raise up more people, not just to do short-term trips in this church, but of these short-term missionaries. I pray that you'll raise up even more who will say, Lord, here am I. Send me. I want you to use me the rest of my life as a career missionary uh, to, to serve you and make a difference. Uh, so, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. Uh, we thank you for friends who can encourage us and motivate us. And, Father, now uh, we thank you for a church that is taking seriously the Great Commission. And we pray that this week, this month, this year, for the rest of our lives, we might be people who are committed to the task of enabling the world to come to know the wonderful good news of your Son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.